May the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We knew it was probably coming at some point, but when the Prime Minister announced the current lockdown on Monday evening, it seemed to take many of us by surprise. The clear command is to stay at home, except for very limited and specific purposes, such as getting basic necessities, daily exercise, seeking medical help, and travelling to and from work were absolutely necessary. In the same address, on Monday evening, Boris Johnson made it very clear why these restrictions were being put in place. He said this, From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Because the critical thing we must do is stop the disease spreading between households. And near the end, he said this. In this fight, we can be in no doubt that each and every one of us is directly enlisted. Each and every one of us is now obliged to join together to help, the sp- to help stop the spread of this disease, to protect our NHS, and to save many, many thousands of lives. And I know that as they have in the past so many times, the people of this country will rise to that challenge and we will come through it stronger than ever. We will beat the coronavirus and we will beat it together. Did you notice the reason why the restrictions have been put in place? To stop the spread, to protect the NHS, and to save lives. For a time, we endure a period of hardship because it will be worth it in the end. We may suffer for a while, but it will end, and we'll be glad that we did. And that's what Paul is telling us today in our reading from Romans chapter 8. On Sunday evenings before the lockdown began, we were in a short series in Romans chapter 8. In Romans, Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Rome, setting out the gospel in its fullness. Chapter 8 is the summary of all that he's already written and draws out the implications of the good news of Jesus for the believer. In verse 1, we saw how, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can already know God's verdict here and now. As we trust in Jesus, the verdict is not guilty. And as the chapter continues, we find that we're not just forgiven. We are also given the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, who confirms that we are indeed God's children. By him, we call God Abba, Father. This is all amazingly wonderful news. And then in verse 17, just before our reading, Paul introduces the subject of suffering. He writes, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now perhaps something inside of us reacts to that. We think, yes, we're on board for all of God's blessings and all of God's benefits. Bring them on. But suffering? Maybe not. And that reaction might be even stronger when we hear verse 18 in our reading today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And perhaps you think, really? Perhaps you think, that Paul doesn't really understand suffering. Maybe he's had a comfortable, easy life, hasn't really undergone any suffering, and doesn't really know what he's talking about. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In another part of the Bible, he shares some of his experiences. Beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, constant danger, Toil and hardship, hunger, thirst, being cold, being naked. He knew what it was to suffer. So he's not making light of suffering. Rather, he makes much of the glory that will be revealed. It's as if Paul has a pair of balancing scales. He puts all of the suffering in one side. And on the other, the glory that will be revealed in us. It's not that our sufferings are greater. And it's not that the suffering and the glory is about the same. Perfectly balanced. No, he says, there is no comparison. The glory completely surpasses and totally outweighs the suffering. Anything we face now, anything that we endure will be more than worth it in the end. And the word that expresses our current experience is the word groaning. I wonder, is that the word that summarizes your experience of the lockdown so far? Groaning with frustration, perhaps, as your regular routine has been restricted. Groaning with boredom, perhaps, as you wonder how you're going to put in another long day. Groaning with loneliness, perhaps. Well, that word groaning is the word that characterizes today's passage. Paul uses it three times as he speaks of the current suffering and the incomparable glory that is to come. First of all, He says that the creation has been groaning. Verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. You know the way some people count down to their birthdays and they know how many sleeps there are until the big day. Or perhaps you wait for a delivery to come and you're watching out for it. Every Uh, van that drives past you think is that it now creation itself is on tiptoes watching and waiting 
with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And why does the earth do that? Why are the animals and birds and trees and every blade of grass waiting in this way? Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. At present, the creation is frustrated. It's in bondage to decay. And I don't have to tell you that. You experience it every day in so many ways. Things wear out and break down. The lovely banana that you were going to have for your lunch turns black and maybe mouldy. Thorns and thistles and weeds spring up. Change and decay in all around I see, as the hymn puts it. It's the world as we know it, but it's not the way the world was originally made. In Genesis chapter 3, in our first reading, we hear of the bondage of creation. Not by creation's choice, but as a consequence of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. The world is under the curse. But it's done in the hope that one day bondage will cease and creation will share in the glorious freedom of God's children. Paul describes creation's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. The groans and the pains are worth it whenever the baby has finally been born. And that's what is happening around us. As the creation groans in anticipation of freedom and release. Can you imagine how glorious our world will be when decay has been stopped? When viruses are no more? When there's no more sadness or sickness or suffering or sin? You see, the gospel is more than just me and my ticket to heaven. The victory that Jesus has won is for the whole creation. The natural world will share in our redemption. And in the meantime, the creation groans. It's not just the creation groaning, though. You see, we too share in that groaning. Believers are groaning as well. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are living in the now and the not yet. Already we have the first fruits, we have the presence of the Spirit and the final verdict. We get to taste something of what eternal life will be like. But there's more to come. And so we grow. We wait. We're still weighed down with sin and sorrow and suffering. 
We long for the day when we will receive our new resurrection bodies. When we see God face to face. When we live with him forever. And so we grow as we wait. But we wait in hope. Sometimes when people use the word hope, they, they express something like this. I hope it'll be a nice day tomorrow. It's a kind of vague, wishful thinking kind of hope. Wouldn't it be nice if this happened? But the Christian hope is not like those vague wishes. Our hope is sure and certain as we trust God's promises and wait for what he will give to us. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, if our present Christian experience is all that there is, then there's nothing to hope for. But hope looks to the future, to what God will do. And we wait patiently because the glory to be revealed in us is worth far more than anything that we endure here and now. The creation is groaning. And we Christians are groaning. And as Paul continues, we find that the Spirit is also groaning. Let's read the last verses. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. All through this chapter, Paul has been reminding us about the power and presence of the Spirit in the life of the Christian. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I wonder, have you ever found yourself wanting to pray, but not knowing what to pray? You've promised that you'll pray for a friend, uh, but the words just don't come. Or you're facing a situation in your own life, and you struggle to know what to pray for and how to pray. Paul tells us here that you are not alone. When we struggle to find the words, the Spirit himself is praying for us with groans that words cannot express. He takes our groanings and groans for us himself, translating them into prayers in line with God's will. He knows and understands our hearts, our sighs, our longings, and prays on our behalf. Perhaps you're struggling at the minute under the current restrictions. Remember 
what Boris has said. It's just for a time and it will be worth it. So how much more then what God has said here in Romans chapter 8? Our present sufferings characterised as they are by the groaning of creation and by our groaning and the groaning of the Spirit. These sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. A short period of pain leading to an infinitely greater pleasure. Suffering now and glory after. That's our story here and now because it is the story of the gospel itself. The pattern that Jesus himself followed. The cross before the crown. Jesus endured the cross. Bearing our sin and shame. Wearing the symbol of the curse. The crown of thorns. In order to enter his glory. By overturning the curse. And ushering in life and peace, victory over death, bringing in his new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwell. We are called to follow that pattern as we trust in him, as we wait for the glory to be revealed, his glory in us. So let's pray. Lord God, whose blessed Son, our Saviour, gave his back to the smiters and did not hide his face from shame, give us grace to endure the sufferings of this present time with sure confidence in the glory that shall be revealed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.